Welcome, Bankless Nation, to this Friday edition of the Bankless Weekly Roll-Up. Another special edition with the substitute teacher of the Bankless Nation, Anthony Cezano. Anthony, welcome to the Friday Weekly Roll-Up. How's it going, man? Hey, mate. I'm going good. I'm glad to be the substitute teacher again. You know, that Ryan, he's always slacking, right? Like, I'm always going to have to fill in, but it's all right. I get paid uh, double time for this, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, can you imagine just like having a family in crypto? Just like, what a guy. <laughs> Who does such a thing? Just goes I don't know and- how he maintains like that. I, don't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for all the people without kids and vacations, every Friday weekly roll up, we go through the markets, what's going on in the market, what got released in the last week, as well as what's going through the news cycle. And then we go through the ecosystem takes, who has some good takes around the world of crypto Twitter. And then lastly, we finish up with what David and Anthony are excited about. Anthony, you ready to get, get going? Yeah, let's get into it. Before we get into the show, we got to talk about Pool Together because it is summertime and it's all time to get into the pool. If you don't know Pool Together, it is a no-loss lottery, which means you put your stable coins, your comp tokens, whatever tokens that Pool Together accepts into a pool, and then you have a chance to win the accrued interest that accrues weekly from everyone's collective funds. Uh, So you don't lose your principal, you might lose your opportunity cost of money, but you also might win everyone else's interest as well. It's a fun, no-loss lottery on Ethereum. Every single week, uh, roughly fifty to sixty thousand dollars gets awarded in USDC, and that is just the USDC pool. There is usually a drawing every single day of the week. They have also recently deployed their Polygon implementation, where you can deposit uh, TUSD Tether into the Polygon pool together uh, pool together pool, and they are also rolling out their L2s coming soon in the future. So check them out. There's a link in the show notes so you can have fun in the pool. All right, starting with the markets, Bitcoin coming in at the price of $44,842, started the week right around $43,500. Anthony, any comments on the Bitcoin price? I mean, I think just generally the market's kind of trending up. Uh, I think people are, I mean, it's funny because I see some people on Twitter talking about, you know, a Bitcoin dominance move and how Bitcoin's going to like uh, gain dominance into the into the winter, actually, for the Northern Hemisphere, summer into, for, for me, like towards the end of the year, because you typically see kind of, uh, I guess, Bitcoin dominance increase over that time. But I'm not convinced. Uh, I have a different opinion there. Maybe when we talk about the ETH price, I can give my opinion on that. Absolutely. There's always uh, are those people that talk about the cyclicality of crypto markets. And I think those times are coming to an end if they're not already over. You, too many people talk about them. Too many t- people talk about the, the cycl- uh, cyclical nature of these things. And I don't know, Bitcoin dominance. I've never really been very bullish on that particularly. All right. Ether price starting the week at around $2,680, coming in at the current price of $3,130. Hit a Almost hit $3,300 earlier this week. Uh, pretty much a straight line up and to the right all throughout the week. Anthony, uh, thoughts on the Ether price? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been funny to see like how quickly we've rebounded. Uh, I think we we're at seventeen hundred only, you know, two or three weeks ago, uh, and we've, we we know pretty much almost doubled since then. You know, hanging around at the thirty one hundreds right now, and this is coming off obviously one five five nine going live, and people realizing that we're burning a lot of ETH. Like, I don't know why people thought that we weren't going to burn a lot of ETH, considering that the fees have been high. I always thought that was funny. Like everyone was complaining about the high fees, and then they didn't realize that we we're going to burn a lot of ETH because those fees were high. So I think. Um, <laughs> 
um, you know, people are finally real. You know what? You know what I mean. It's just mm-hmm. weird, but mm-hmm. um, I think people are finally realizing that uh, you know, the one five five nine is in in fact burning a lot of ETH, and it, and it's not just the only thing um that's going to be affecting ETH price. Like over the, I guess maybe medium term, we've got the merge coming up. You know, NFTs have exploded. So if you look at the the um the projects burning the most amount of ETH, I'm pretty sure OpenSea is at the top of the list. When usually you would see something like Uniswap up there. So we're seeing, uh, I think, just ETH have like uh, this positive price movement in part because of that. But just generally, like, I mean, the ETH ecosystem's on fire right now. We're going to talk a lot about that. But just to go back to what we were talking about before with the seasonality, if people monitor the seasonality of these things, I think uh, crypto is very cyclical and is very seasonal. But I think that's been a big part due to the fact that like it's all been speculative, like 100% speculation for most of crypto's life whereas now we're actually seeing the the use cases be adopted in a really kind of real way yes nfts are full of speculation but it, a lot of people are, are actually interested in them building cool new things doing a lot of different things there and and kind of like uh, adopting this technology rather than just buying it for purely speculative reasons they want to be part of a community or whatever um so yeah i, I think the cynical nature over time over probably the next couple of years um is, is going to definitely change a lot um we're going to see like definite changes in that behavior. Yeah, the, the thought that these crypto markets are just going to stay cyclical until like crypto takes over the world and over the universe, like no, that's way like patterns don't work like that over the long term. What do you make of this uh very straight line from like roughly the 19th of July to where we are almost a month later? It seems to be ether has going on this like very straight up into this line uh, up into the right line for the last almost a whole entire month. Do you, is there, is there anything to, to talk about there or is that just a coincidence? I mean, it, it's hard to tell because some people call this like a complacency bounce where the price will bounce off its, if it's low after a big crash and no one will cash out. And then, you know, it'll, it'll drop down again because everyone was complacent about this. Everyone thought that the bull market was going to continue and all these sorts of stuff. Um, well, couldn't that have been like this bounce right here? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like it could have been any of these bounces, right? Uh, to me, this is just um, so. To me, I think two things are playing out right now with the ETH price. There's disbelief. A lot of people are like, you know, wow, we're already back over three k. How is this possible? And there's a bit of complacency. People are like, you know, we're back over three k, going straight to all time high. Mm-hmm. So I think the market's going to do what the least amount of people uh, kind of like expect, and and that's probably go sideways from here for a little bit, maybe. Um, you know, in the short term, while uh, kind of like people change from, I guess, like I think a lot of people. And neutral right now rather than being like overly bullish and they're just waiting for like a signal where they're like okay let's break out of this kind of like uh a range here let's go straight to all-time high and all that sort of stuff um but yeah it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell over the short term but i do think that uh as i was saying about the cyclical nature of things i don't know i think the four-year kind of cycle is like dead i don't Absolutely, think that's yeah. a thing anymore like really <laughs> Yeah, the fact that it continued three times is already telling you that, in my opinion, that's already overextended in its cyclical nature. All right, moving on to the ETH BTC ratio. We are at 0.069 on the ETH BTC ratio, which is, like I always say, historically pretty high. Like always, if we go back throughout the, like the very beginning of like the whole Ether BTC ratio thing, we are uh, at always very high levels and we have been for basically all of 2021. Anthony, anything to talk about here with the ETH BTC ratio maybe in the last like few weeks and months or so? 
Yeah, I, I think the, the the cyclical seasonality kind of plays out here the most with ETH BTC. I don't think too many people trade this pair. I think it's just good for looking at for overall sentiment uh, around like Bitcoin versus ETH and, and how their, their prices are going. I think what's going to happen is, you know, I mean, I don't think this is going to happen. I, I'm actually curious to see what happens in that typically in Q3, more so in Q4, Ether Bitcoin bleeds like, and it bleeds hard, right? Mm. It basically makes Ethereum feel like shit for like all of Q4. <laughs> and then in late December, early January, it typically explodes upwards again. Like there's that kind of like bounce because everyone's kind of like um, feeling really shitty and that's kind of like the typical place to bounce. But if, we, if you pay attention to what's been happening with ETH Bitcoin and kind of like seeing the, the change there, I don't, I'm not convinced that we're going to see this play out again. Like it's played out pretty much every year since Ethereum's existed, like since ETH was trading. But if we break this cyclical nature, I mean, you can look on the chart and see that it's played out every single year, like every single Q3, Q4, ETH Bitcoin has bled, um, you know, since the earliest days. Then it's bounced after that. Um, but like, if we don't bleed now, if, if ETH actually takes its, uh, you know, if ETH Bitcoin doesn't bleed and it, and it either goes sideways or keeps going up, that will show the entire market that there really is a real change and shift in how people are viewing ETH as a standalone thing compared to Bitcoin. I think pe- more and more people are realizing that Ethereum as a network does just obviously so much more than Bitcoin does. And we shouldn't be comparing the, the, the two, um, you know, in, in, in lots of different ways. So, yeah, I just think that if we do break that seasonality, that is an absolutely massive break of, uh, of, of pattern. And I mean, that's breaking like six years worth of patterns. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal if that, if that, that does play out there. And the reason why I think Anthony and I are focusing on this whole like uh, cyclicality theme in the market section is that we see a lot of uh, just excitement in the news cycle. We see a lot of adoption and there's a discrepancy between what this cyclical pattern of uh, crypto market history would predict for the next quarter or so and what we are seeing when it comes to on-chain fundamentals and things just like in the news cycle and and the rate of adoption, which is going to be something that we revisit uh, throughout the rest of this weekly roll up so stay tuned for that but actually we're going to get to one of those subjects right now coming out of a business wire which is apparently a berkshire hathaway company a genesis q2 report shows decreasing bitcoin dominance and hedge funds diving into DeFi. so this is one of the fundamentals that we are seeing that would disagree with the nature of the cyclical nature of the markets as we've seen so far genesis a digital asset industry provider and digital currency prime brokerage released its q2 2021 market observations report which highlights major trends across institutional digital asset markets the report shows a significant rotation out of bitcoin and into ethereum and explains explains how clients search for yield drove activity across Genesis throughout Q2. Man, it's as if some of the core Ethereum community members were talking about this they for the past like year or so. Institutional investors, institutional money, they love yield and that they love the narrative that surrounds around yield. And we all know that they were largely uh, un- not sufficiently exposed to Ether and overexposed to Bitcoin because everyone started with Bitcoin, right? When you only start with Bitcoin, you only have other places to go. And when you see like the next step after Bitcoin is perhaps this thing called Ethereum and there's all these yield opportunities on Ethereum, that just makes a ton of sense to me. Anthony, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, we've been talking about this for years at this point, like both of us, uh, you know, wherever on Twitter, on Bankless, on on Ethub, whatever it is. Uh, but essentially, Ethereum just appeals to so many more people than, than Bitcoin does. Like 
what you do with Bitcoin is you buy BTC and you hold on to it, right? There's not much else you can do with it. Um, maybe you can put it in some kind of like uh, uh, centralized uh, custodians to earn a little bit of yield on it. But a lot of the time they'll be earning yield on it by putting it into Ethereum. So it's kind of like ironic when you think about it like that. So I'm not surprised to see this at all. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have been a long-term proponent that I think Bitcoin dominance is going to fall dramatically from here and, and probably fall to under 10% eventually. I think that the space is is much bigger than Bitcoin. It is is even bigger than Ethereum. Like I don't think Ethereum is going to be the absolute kind of like um, juggernaut and everything else will be like this tiny little thing. I do think we're going to be in kind of like this I mean, I guess people are calling it like a multi-chain ecosystem, but I do think a lot of that value is still going to accrue to Ethereum, right? Like Ethereum as, as it's kind of like the, the base chain and and as this economic nexus that sits in between everything. Uh, and, and from that point of view, I think a lot of people realize that. And so with especially with 1559 in place now, people are like, well, how do I get exposure to all of this? Well, you know, you buy ETH, right? You buy ETH to get exposure to everything. doesn't matter if, you know, this DeFi app is hot one, you know, one month, this DeFi app is hot another month or, you know, same with NFTs, you get exposure to the entire Ethereum ecosystem by buying ETH. And then with that ETH, you can choose to stake it or you can put it into DeFi, borrow against it, you know, and earn some yield on stable coins. I mean, there's an infinite amount of things you can do with, with Ethereum. Uh, and if you're trying to bet on, I guess, like a falling Bitcoin dominance because uh, you're, you're betting on like the world kind of waking up to things like DeFi and NFTs, well, then you, you, you kind of like buy ETH here. So I think we're going to continue to see this. I don't think this is an outlier. And, and I'm just, I'm very happy to see institutions finally realizing the value of ETH and Ethereum. Absolutely. And this is also backed up by the fact that Ether had its first whole entire quarter having more volume on Coinbase than Bitcoin, which is a pretty monumental milestone. A whole entire one fourth of a whole entire year Ether trading volume is higher than Bitcoin's. And as we all know, in the world of crypto, there is a competition to be the internet money and money means liquidity. Uh, and so seeing the volume shift from Bitcoin to Ether for a whole entire quarter tells us a new story about where the liquidity in this industry lies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting to see how dramatic the shift has been in only a year. Like a year ago, Bitcoin was 57%. Ethereum was only 15%. Uh, and now uh, if you go back to the other kind of like screenshot um, that I was reading off. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate it when Ryan and, does that to me. <laughs> and, 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 and Bitcoin is now 24%, whereas Ethereum is 26% then has not only been like a, a massive catch up from, from Ethereum and you can see like the pattern, it, it basically played out mostly in Q1 and Q2, um, but you know, Bitcoin's lost a lot of dominance to other crypto assets as well, because other crypto assets over the, over the last year have increased from 28% to 50%. So obviously people are just like very, very uh, excited to, to trade other assets, very interested in trading other as assets. And ETH is like the big, I guess, like one of the biggest beneficiaries of this. And we felt that with the price as well, with the ratio going up to like, as I said, I don't think many people trade ETH BTC, but ETH BTC tells the story and it tells the story of ETH dominance increasing while BTC dominance decreases. And then we also have this tweet coming out of uh, uh, Frank Chaparro from the block. Uh, Institutional demand for ETH has surged and it's pushing Fidelity and NYDIG to expand their BTC focused offerings. NYDIG, which is, is known for uh, one of the biggest Bitcoin uh, funds ever. And it's one of the reasons why so many commercial banks can tap into Bitcoin via NYDIG. Uh, NYDIG, which bills itself as BT for BTC first, has quietly been offering ETH custody to an increasing number of clients, plus FDAS could offer ETH services by Q4 or Q1 2022. 
So this is kind of like, the th while there was so much going on this week with the whole like regulatory tax stuff, the, the penguins, there's been this underlying <laughs> story of just like institutions quietly rotating and finding infrastructure and rotating into ether. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it's funny. Like, uh, I responded to Frank's tweet there saying, like, it doesn't pay to be a BTC maxi shop, and it doesn't, right? You you eventually have to cave because your customer demand is so high. There's revenue sources elsewhere. Why not go them? Go go mm -hmm. to them. All right, turning now to money locked in DeFi. We are coming in at $79 billion locked in DeFi, which is about roughly where it started a week ago, but has been a lot higher where than it has been all throughout July. So really coming back into the that high 70s, low 80s range, which again, uh, we I believe we capped out at 88 or $90 billion locked in DeFi. And of course, the DeFi Pulse Index coming in at $390. Starting the week at around $350, peaked out at over $400, $415. And then we are currently at the price of $390. Anthony, any comments on money locked in DeFi or the DPI? Yeah, so the, the money locked in DeFi measured in USD is going to trend up based on the market, right? Because a lot of it is ETH, a lot of it is Bitcoin and other kind of tokens. So obviously it's going to go up and the market goes up. Um, but I think DeFi, you know, the last, I mean, maybe a couple of months has taken a back seat because NFT mania is kind of what everyone's talking about. Mm. But DeFi is quietly building in the background. There are a lot of things going on and it's not going anywhere. And I think we're going to see like a DeFi renaissance happen over the next few months, especially as these layer twos go live and more and more people kind of like uh, can play with these things. Uh, I think we're definitely going to see a resurgence here. And I wouldn't be surprised to see 100 billion plus locked in DeFi uh, very, very soon. Yeah, that will be a fun day to uh, to be in DeFi, that's for sure. You can definitely see that number be tweeted out on Twitter if you don't want to miss it, because there will be a race for all the Twitter influencers to get that first $100 billion locked in DeFi. We all know it's coming. Uh, all right, moving on to the DPI Ether ratio coming in at 0.2126, a little bit below my 0.13 call, but again, not all that far away. Uh, it is below the call. I will not. I will not deny that, but... Uh, Anthony, do you have any comments about this ETH DPI ratio? Yeah, I mean, doesn't it, look so hot. <laughs> it, so, so I have a I have a thesis at the moment that I I'm wondering if it's going to play out. It seems to be playing out already, but I think that in a post one five five nine world, outperforming ETH over the long term is going to be very very hard, uh, especially. Um, you know, maybe like the blue chip DeFi things and stuff like that. The things are already kind of large cap. It's going to be very hard for them to outperform ETH over the long term, I believe, because of the fact that all the activity generated by DeFi is going to feed back to ETH anyway, because we're going to be burning ETH mm. because of it. Mm. So, um, you know, and a lot of, and, and because we have so many DeFi tokens now, I think that buying the DeFi Pulse Index is still a really good idea for people who don't want to sift through all the, all the DeFi tokens. But if you kind of like look at it um, from the point of view of, maybe like the complete normie who sees everything going on. And they're like, okay, well, you know, there's DeFi's, NFTs. Like, I don't know what to buy. Like, what do I buy? And then they think to themselves, well, this is all happening on Ethereum. Why don't I just buy ETH as like the shelling point index sort of thing for the entire Ethereum ecosystem. And I think that's going to be a big reason why, why over the long term, say like, you know, a year plus, it's going to be very hard to outperform uh, just, you know, holding vanilla ETH um, or even like maybe, I guess like you guys have the bed index, like uh, Bitcoin, ETH and DeFi, which I think is, 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 is less volatile. So it's something that people will be interested in as well. But uh, yeah, the, the, the DPI ETH ratio is not looking too hot, but at the same time, it can always reverse very violently if right. for some reason people like, 
all of a sudden say, oh, wow, well, DeFi is underpriced. I'm going to buy DeFi. Right. Then over the short to medium term, it can definitely outperform. Right. We are, like Anthony said, we are in the middle of what seems to be a, an NFT hype session. Uh, if that session were to ever turn to DeFi, things would move really, really quickly. This is kind of how this industry works is we are only ever extremely hyped or extremely subdued, <laughs> never ever in the middle. Uh, you mentioned uh, the bed index and the bed index is coming in at $142. Uh, it has performed really well for basically all of its genesis. Started the month right around uh, $90 and then has peaked out at $153. And on the week, we are up 8.6%. So as an industry, which is why the bed index is so great, as a whole entire industry, we are roughly up 8.6%. So that is pretty cool. Uh, all right, uh, here is L2Beat. And we haven't talked about L2Beat for a while, even though with that we have it in the show templates. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up this week is, A, we haven't talked about it in a while. But uh, we were going through a little bit of a downtrend in, in uh, uh, money locked in layer two. So, excuse me, L2B, it's kind of like DeFi Pulse. It's like, a, you know, money locked in DeFi, but instead it's money locked on layer twos. And we have been seeing a resurgence in some value and some deposits coming in at layer two, largely because I think uh, the DYDX token, DYDX coming in at number one. And over the last seven days, it's had 160% extra value being deposited into its L2. Um, but of course, we are also seeing a strong showing by optimism uh, and a few other uh, layer twos as well. Anthony, any comments on the layer two uh, world? Yeah, I mean, you can see with DYDX, this is the power of adding a token, right? Like as soon <laughs> as you add token incentives, you get a lot of liquidity. And I'm really glad to see their growth there. I think they're one of the best L2s out there right now, obviously built on StarQuest technology, um, has, has a really great platform. Um, but like, I'm always curious to see how these things perform when there isn't token incentives in place. So I've been watching something like Optimism where they've got Synthetics and they've got um, Uniswap, but I've put, in particular been watching Uniswap V3 on Optimism because Synthetics has token incentives technically because of the staking. Um, so with Uniswap V3 on Optimism, there's zero token incentives on there. So I've been really curious to see that. Uh, oh, sorry, very... Um, Happy to see that the TVL has been growing steadily on there and the volumes. I think they peaked out at maybe over 4 million uh, 24 hour volume, which you know is small when you consider a, a layer one is like in the billions. But uh, you know, as I said, no token incentives, still very new, very limited guardrails everywhere. Um, and you know, we we have other L2s like Arbitrum going live this month in a in a fully public fashion. So I think this TVL is going to explode. And I think the early TVL that they're measuring here might've been just like all synthetic staking. And when, when the SNX price was like three times what it was now, um, you know, and, and that was, I think that was an optimism, but uh, for, for a little while too earlier on just staking. Um, but like, I'm just looking at the, the, the 30 day, if you, if you change to the 30 day chart on, on there, uh, yeah, you can see that the trend is is very strong. Like we've basically like, you know, almost pretty much doubled here, um, you know, and, and I think that's just going to keep continuing and it's just great to see. And then there's a lot of ETH locked in there uh, as well. I think that's measuring uh, ETH if it was priced in USD there, but I'm being seeing like ETH locked in in uh, L2s go up as well. Like DYDX is, is a big kind of like uh, a big driver of that for sure. Yeah, and we did have the Optimism team on the Bankless show last week. If you did not catch that episode, absolutely go watch it. It's not often that Optimism comes and talks on a show. We did ask them if they were going to do a token uh, because, I, Anthony, I'm pretty sure you agree with me. We kind of think everyone's going to do a token. Yeah, um, yeah. But when they uh, answered that question, they said that they had no plans. So um, they had no plans to do a token. 
Uh, no plans right. yet. <laughs> no, no, well, they, they didn't say that, but we totally will. All right. No, now, yeah, no, no. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> now in the uh, new to the Bankless Weekly Rollups and also continuing for all future uh, weekly rollups, we are now seeing 36 thousand ether get burned since uh, EIP 1559 got introduced a little bit over seven days ago, seven and a half days ago. So in the last seven days, $36,000 or excuse me, 36,000 ether was burned, which is coming in at $111 million. Fun fact, roughly about uh, three and a half ether per uh, minute for over the last 24 hours. Anthony, did you see this ether burn thing coming? Like, did you know about this? No, like this is this has caught me by surprise. Like, <laughs> I am so totally surprised. Like, where did this come from? Like this one five five nine thing? It just came out of the blue, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but okay. But did you think that it was going to burn this much ETH? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessing over this for a very long time and I've been screaming about it because um, Justin Drake put out his assumption saying that 70 to 75% of the uh, ETH fees would mm. be burned. And that's exactly where we are today. That's it's about exactly 75% right, yeah. on average. So he was he was right about that. And I based a lot of my assumptions uh, on his work. And, you know, given the, how much work he's done throughout the um, ecosystem with research on Ethereum monetary policy, 1559, everything like that, uh, I tended to kind of like believe his estimate. Estimates. And you know, when I saw this happening, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is exactly what I what I expected." But a lot of people didn't, and it just really surprised me because, I mean, maybe a lot of people don't watch my stuff, but I mean, I've been screaming about this for so long. <laughs> I really like this watchtheburn.com website. Over the last seven days, it's been keeping a tally of the burned versus issued amount of ETH, and this is one of the metrics that I talked about forever ago: the ETH issue to burn ratio. In the last seven days, we've issued almost sixty-seven thousand ETH. And we've burned 35,800 ETH. So we are burning more than half of the issue of the ETH that we are currently issuing. And that is in a proof of uh, work environment, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, actually, excuse me, we burned 35,800 ETH. And then the net issuance was 66,800. Okay, so, so we actually only burned roughly 35%. Uh, and so, you know, 35%, like, no, like, the, and that is largely ETH that would be otherwise being sold by miners. And so 35% of Ether being issued is no longer being sold. It is just being burnt. It's as if mm -hmm. people saw this coming. This fits in with my napkin math about how if we wanted a full net deflationary ETH in a proof of work world, we would need about 150 GUI uh, on average. We've had, I think, about 50, 60 GUI on average over the over the past like seven days. Um, so yeah, it's not going to be net deflationary, but we have had ultrasound blocks, right? right. Which is like blocks where we've burned more ETH than we've um, that we've issued as block reward. And we've had many of those, uh, which I think is really cool to, to monitor. But I mean, yeah, like, the thing is, is that it's, it's funny because I've been seeing people say, oh, well, you know, how much ETH was issued during that time? Like, who cares how much was burned, how much was still issued? And it's like, guys, like, this is like so missing the point right, right. now. Like, it's just, it's insane. Um, but like, uh, other than that, I just think it's, it's funny when you look at the dollar values too, like there's $10,000 on average over the last 24 hours, each minute being burned with ETH. So don't just look at the ETH value, look at the dollar value, $10,000 a minute. Right. That's like someone buying $10,000 every minute and sending it to the burn address. It's the right. same thing. <laughs> at this rate, it's faster than Michael Saylor is dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. <laughs> Um, and, and the crazy thing is, is like you said that we've had ultrasound blocks. We've also had ultrasound hours as in for mm -hmm. a whole hour, ether was deflationary during, during dependent like times of NFT drops usually. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, in DeFi summer, 
we sustained over 150 guay for weeks, if not months, right? And there mm-hmm. was times where we were holding three to 400 guay for, for an entire week, right? Uh, and so to some degree, like when we have a really, really high congestion environment, like that burns way, way, way more ether. Uh, and like, does it retro, like if we want to retroactively become ultrasound, that is possible, right? Because, you know, the maximum amount of ether that you can burn inside of a single block is infinite, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, the maximum amount of ether you can burn in a single month is th- also infinite, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and of course, this just gets so much easier under proof of stake. You, you said your napkin mask was like 150 guay. Uh, well, under I think proof it was of- like a, uh, the proof of stake. Yeah, I think it was like 10 to 15 guay or something, right. depending on the age staked. Right. Yeah. 10 to 15 guay. Like we've been sustaining 10 to 15 guay like 97% of the time for the last like two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is why I think uh, I've been saying it on Twitter, leaking a bit of alpha. The merge is like a hundred times more bullish for ETH than one five five nine. Like one five five nine was like the appetizer, guys. Like the merge is the main course. Like it's the main course. It's the dessert. It's the drinks you have with right. your, your food, right? It's just it's everything. It's it's huge. Yeah, and and the, the cool thing is we can actually do a little bit of like na- again napkin math here is like so we call the merge the triple halving, right? Because it's having it having the amount of issuance of ETH and then doing it again and then doing it again. So what is what what is that? 50, 25, 12.5%? No, no, 90, it's about a 90% reduction. Yeah. 90, 90% reduction. Which is triple, you're triple halving. Like if you right. have it 50%, 50%, 50%, it's, right. it, it's about 90%. Yeah. Right. And then with this uh, burn rate, we are burning, uh, I think, oh God, I'm, this is why I'm not a math major. But anyways, take, take a third of the issuance of, of under this proof of stake, uh, proof of work form, and then also keep on burning that. Like these things are really mm. symbiotic. Uh, okay, all right, we got to move on or else we're going to stick in, into the, the markets for a little bit too long. But before we do, a shout out to uh, Michael Silberling, uh, which he was listening to the uh, EIP-1559 expert panel, which another great piece of content, and made this Dune Analytics board, which I found very, very useful, uh, but apparently it's not loading. But if you want to get a, <laughs> a very in-depth uh, Dune Analytics board about EIP-1559, check out that link in the show notes. Shout out to Michael for making that Dune Analytics board. Uh, and then again, I guess we're not done with EIP-1559. Here's a, here's a nice visual, visualization of uh, all the ETH being burnt versus the ETH being paid to miners. Like, look, the dark blue is how much is being burnt. And then the light uh, turquoise-ish is uh, revenue paid to miners. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of dark blue there. Like, it's most of it. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Axie Infinity, which is the first NFT project to hit $1 billion in all-time NFT trading volume is a very large number, absolutely massive. Uh, Axie Infinity, we brought them onto the markets a couple weeks ago because the price was just going absolutely bonkers. And we brought that on after two weeks after before that, we brought them on the show because the price was going absolutely bonkers. And the revenue of this whole entire ecosystem continues to be sustained, which is very, very impressive. Anthony, any comments mm-hmm. here? Yeah, I mean, this is just like... To me, the, the story of Axie Infinity is what's going to bring in the the kind of like next wave of NFT uh, kind of like, um, you know, adoption and builders. Because think about all the game development studios that have now realized how big the total addressable market is for play to earn games. And think about all of them integrating these sorts of things into uh, their mobile apps, right? Like there's a lot of apps with in-app purchases and stuff like that but they're going to be able to supercharge it by tapping into these play to earn things. So I'm going to, I, I can pretty much guarantee that every single game company worth its salt right now is contacting, you know, whether that be Ethereum layer twos that are focused on NFTs or anyone who knows about this stuff, they're contacting them to 
like the team at Polygon as well and stuff like that to say, hey, hey, how do we do this NFT thing? And you're going to see a, an absolute explosion of this stuff happen over the next six to 12 months. It's going to catch everyone off, off guard. I think this NFT mania is just getting started. There is so many people to come. Like the, the amount of people that there still is to come in is is incredible. Like this is going to be the, the story, I think, over the next six to 12 months for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we have not even gotten to the NFT section of the weekly roll up to close out the market section. Coinbase, coin had a really impressive uh, uh, quarter. And so they uh, beat earnings. Uh, they uh, were expected to have $1.8 billion in revenue, but instead they pulled in $2.2 billion of revenue. And Coin, as a result, is finally seeing some life in the asset price. So congratulations to Coinbase. Anthony, any comments here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to see. Um, but my, my thesis has always been that Coinbase is re very, very heavily reliant on crypto trading volumes and crypto trading volumes go up when the crypto market is hot. So just buy ETH and you'll outperform Coin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that was the market section. We are going to be back with releases in just a second. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using Balancer's asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between Balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus trading on other platforms. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. 
All right, guys, welcome back. We are getting into the releases and starting alphabetically. A is for Arbitrum, <laughs> and apparently A is also for August, and apparently Arbitrum is releasing in August. So they recently put out a, uh, a blog post on their blog on Medium, offchain.medium.com, if you want to go check it out, talking about how they are going to release Arbitrum in August. Anthony, what month is it? Uh, I think it's August. Is it August? Like, I think August it's August. is turning out to be a very big month for Ethereum. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, weird. All right. So uh, what does that mean for us? Are, are, what's, what does that mean for Arbitrum to go live? So Ar Arbitrum 1, which is their first implementation of the Arbitrum optimistic roll-up, uh, going live means that it's going live for everyone. It's been on mainnet in a uh, in a kind of like closed capacity for developers to deploy their kind of apps to them. But it going live in August for end users means that we're going to all be able to use the Arbitrum system uh, from our you know favorite Ethereum wallet. So that is super exciting. And I mean, August, what? We're on August 13th for me. I know it's the 12th for you. Uh, but essentially, there's only a couple of weeks left of August. So are they going live? you know sooner rather than later they're going to leave it to the end of august to really tease us you know mm -hmm. who knows but i think arbitrum is usually very good with their dates and their and their release windows so i don't expect a delay here uh so yeah they're going live in august so super exciting i really like this release date format and i really wish that as a community we had figured it out earlier just give people an entire just like month like no release dates <laughs> just give us a month and just like tease us for a whole entire whole entire month uh, uh, Arbitrum also released this page, which also illustrates all of the apps that are coming to Arbitrum. This page is called the Arbitrum One Portal, your gateway to the Arbitrum ecosystem. And the amount of applications on here continues to just grow and grow and grow as I zoom out on this page. Look, there's Aave, there's Curve, uh, there's Cream, there's, God, there's, a, there's, a, there's Balancer. Look at that, there's Chainlink, the Etherscan, not even an Ethereum app, but Ethereum infrastructure, which we all know that we need. There's MakerDAO, MCDEX, Loopring. Gosh, what isn't there? Yeah, yeah, this is this is why I'm I'm really really excited for this is because we're going to have a fully kind of like fleshed out uh, layer 2 uh, ecosystem with Arbitrum going live where we have all the apps we know and love from layer 1 and just on layer 2. So I expect uh the TVL and and the activity to absolutely explode on this. And I I'm sure Optimism isn't far behind either because Arbitrum is their main competitors um, in the optimistic roll-up space. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see like the Arbitrum versus Optimism wars over the next few months and it's going to be amazing there's going to be so much kind of like liquidity mining going on it's going to be pretty <laughs> funny to see how that plays out but yeah i mean i can't wait like first um you know true layer two uh ecosystem on ethereum uh that isn't just like app specific like obviously dydx loopring diversify all that sort of stuff is app specific 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 but arbitrum one and, and, and optimism are both uh generalized evm compatible platforms that are going to really change the game i think yeah, and as we've been saying on the Bankless Show, the Layer 2 summer is upon us. August still counts as summer, so we still <laughs> got that one right. Uh, and if Arbitrum does what we think they do and releases a token, maybe there's yield farming on Arbitrum. I don't know how they're going to release their token. I don't even know if there is going to be a token, but I would imagine there might be some uh, aggressive yield farming going on there. Uh, moving on to Rarible, released the Rarible Protocol, a set of tools to simplify the go-to market process for NFT projects and ideas. I took a peek under the hood, and this is uh, interestingly an NFT cross-chain system to bridge NFTs across all the various chains, uh, not even just Ethereum L2s, but also things like Binance Smart Chain and, and Flow and Pesos, which, uh, interesting. Okay, uh, Anthony, did you read this announcement at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I saw it last night. Uh, basically, I mean, it makes sense because essentially what Rarible is trying to do is just provide the tools for for people to kind of like build out their NFT projects and developers to kind of build them out on you know, Ethereum, Layer 2s, other chains, things like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense for them to release something like this, but I think it's definitely more developer-focused right now, but end users are obviously going to get the benefit from that uh, at the end of the day. Coming out next was Gearbox, which is a brand new protocol for generalized leverage. I'm not sure what that means to have generalized leverage. And if there is a somebody who is a trader in the world of the Bankless Nation who wants to come in and inform me what generalized leverage is, I would super duper appreciate it. Anthony, do you know what uh, generalized leverage is? Yeah. So, so the way that I understand it is basically you, you're going to have like a pool of capital that people can kind of like tap into uh, that they can kind of leverage off of, right? To go do kind of like yield farming and think and, and similar things within the ecosystem. So I think the way maybe Gearbox does it is, you know, you can see in the screenshot here, they have like this pool, right? Where liquidity providers can provide liquidity to. And then uh, people create these things called credit accounts, which they uh, borrow from the pool as leverage. And then they go do, you know, any number of things. So it's essentially a way to access like a massive pool of capital for people who want it and to borrow, uh, to, to kind of leverage it in order to, to do the other things in DeFi. Uh, so I, th I thought this was actually a really cool idea because I think Alpha Finance has done this in the past uh, in, in a, a different implementation where people could like borrow from this, this pool of liquidity. But I think Gearbox is just taking it to the next level by introducing this thing uh, called credit account, where it's essentially, you know, keeping track of all the, the, the credit that this person has and generalizing it so that they can borrow these, you know, leverage these this liquidity and put it into all these other protocols. Uh, and you can see here, on the other side, there's like a two-sided place here. There's the liquidity providers, then the traders, and there's just a credit account that everything goes into and the traders can, can kind of leverage that. And yeah, I mean, the, the post details a lot more kind of like how this how this works. And there's like a little blurb underneath the screenshot that describes it. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, this could be pretty, I think this could lead to, you know, a resurgence in DeFi, especially because at the end of the day, everyone loves yield farming and, you know, making it easier for people to leverage yield farm is probably, uh, you know, going to be a, a, a hot product, especially if DeFi heats up again. Yeah, as we all know, the DeFi is providing some of the most powerful financial tools to the people that use it. And we are also inventing brand new ones, which gets even crazier. So I'm excited to see how this rolls out into the future. What can this change when it comes? Because we all know everyone in DeFi loves leverage, perhaps a little bit too mm -hmm. much. I'm a little mm -hmm. bit worried about putting even more leverage tools out there. But like, I know that if, they're, if they can be built, they absolutely will be built. And it looks like that's what's going on here. All right, moving into raises, the decentralized wireless network Helium has raised $111 million in a sale led by A16Z. Uh, Anthony, any comments on this? Yeah, Helium's one project that I've watched for quite a while. I haven't been They've able been to around, participate yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't able to participate in it from the early days because they were only shipping their Helium units uh, to places in like the US initially. And then I think they do Australia now, but I haven't, I haven't kind of looked at it lately. But for those who don't know, Helium is trying to create like a decentralized, uh, I guess, like 5G network or, um, you know, and, and so to do that, you need to obviously bootstrap it with new hardware and hardware, a hardware rollout is actually very, very hard and very expensive. So what Helium has done is they basically said, well, what if we have a token attached to it? What if we do like mining where you set up your, your unit, you get to mine these HT tokens, and then that kind of incentivizes you to do so. 
And I really think that this is going to be part of a broader trend where we can actually use these token incentives to essentially bootstrap new uh, kind of like hardware rollouts. And there's no surprise to me that Helium has has raised this amount of capital because they are, you know, there's there's literally like tens of thousands of these things. And they actually were sold out for quite a while because there was just so much demand for them. So this is really like liquidity mining for hardware rollouts. Like that's what, how I like to think about it. And I definitely have always thought that this is one of the most like sci-fi applications of the use of crypto. But we've also seen teams try and do similar things like this before. The foam network comes to mind where the people wanted to make like decentralized triangulation. So we didn't have to like rely on Google Maps. Um, I mean, we all want super high speed connectivity and a mesh network of like radio. Uh, I'm pretty sure those, that's the right device. Um, makes a lot of sense. Is society ready for that? Um, we will find out. But we have $111 mm -hmm. million dollars to put to, it, to the test. So mm -hmm. moving on. Dune Analytics, which we refer to all the time on the Bankless program, got a $8 million Series A led by Union Square Ventures. I'm really, really excited for this. Dune Analytics is such an important uh, way to gain some perspective as to what's going on directly on chain on Ethereum. Uh, and the, their boards feature is great. We use it all the time on the rollup. I'm excited to see what happens when they inject $8 million into improving the product and growing out the team. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, this is awesome to see. And I mean, I should disclose that I'm actually a seed investor in Dune Analytics. Ah, so congrats. Yeah, yeah, thanks. But this is like uh, awesome to see, uh, like from both ends. But one because like I'm I'm really glad to see that a team that I I have backed um, is you know going on to raise another round and, and seeing continued success. But also because I'm a massive fan of Dune Analytics, I use it every single day uh, for looking at on-chain stuff, and I absolutely love the fact that they have such a vibrant community that builds all these awesome dashboards. I mean, we showed one from Michael earlier. There's literally hundreds of these people building out these dashboards, and I think with this money, Dune said that they're going to expand to layer twos and other chains and kind of like just have like this world of of data for people to kind of like tap into to to essentially build these dashboards around. So yeah, I'm really, really excited to see that they've raised this money. Closing out the raise section, we have a consensus incubated crypto wallet, Liquality, raises $7 million in seed funding. Uh, so consensus, the, the you know try, true and tried uh, Ethereum project that has spun out with the things like MetaMask and Infura and Codify, uh, now spinning out uh, Liquality, which I'm not so sure I'm sold on the name, um, but uh, mm -hmm. a, new, a new wallet coming into the ecosystem uh, done by consensus. Yeah, the name trips me up because I always just go straight to liquidity I, right. instead of saying liquidity. And, and it's I, the same I just started figuring out liquidity. I was about to say liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> Man, these names. But no, no, I think this is really positive because we need more competition in the wallet space. And the fact is that the wallet space is actually um, you know, the front door for, for mm -hmm. the, the ecosystem. So if you own that front door and you have the users there, there's a lot of money to be made. I mean, we've seen MetaMask absolutely printing money off of their uh, swap feature, which is literally like, it's not even in your face or anything like that. And they're taking like a 0.8% fee uh, off of that. And they, I think they're printing like half a million dollars a day or something, right. something crazy. Like, and, and that's like pure revenue and profit, right? Because MetaMask doesn't really take much to maintain. There's a small team that builds out the updates and things like that. So yeah, the wallet space is definitely going to heat up and there's going to be a lot of competition coming to market here. Just kidding. One more raise in the raise section. <laughs> Crypto tax software firm Taxbit has raised $130 million in a Series B that sticks their valuation at $1.33 billion. Everyone in crypto hates to do taxes. I'm pretty sure I can speak for everyone when we all say we hate to do taxes. And so the fact that a tax reporting company can raise such a large amount makes a ton of sense because we just want other people to do it for us. Or at least that's just mm -hmm. me.
Uh, all right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and of course, re- finishing up the releases section, if you are looking for a job in crypto, there are jobs out there to go and find. So if you are perhaps a senior product manager, Immutable X is looking for you. A full stack software engineer palette of this job board is looking for you. We also have jobs from Nervous Network, Impact Theory, The Graph, and Argent. Uh, if you are looking for a job, go to palette.xyz slash list slash bank list that or just go to the show notes and check out the jobs uh, because they are hire- everyone is hiring these days, including Arbitrum. Uh, and so if you want to go get a job with Arbitrum, they are hiring as well. All right, moving on into news. Let me close out some of these tabs. The big news of the week was this Poly Network hack, which had over $600 million uh, exploited out of its contracts. Poly Network was a, a, a cross-chain uh, asset transfer network, kind of like ThorChain, kind of like a few others. Um, Interestingly, none of the people that I had I talked to in my circles like knew Poly Network, even though it had the largest uh, hack in DeFi history, which is kind of interesting. So some funds were lost from Polygon, some funds were lost from the Ethereum main chain, some funds were lost from Binance chain. Uh, but interestingly, uh, this hacker wasn't very sophisticated. Uh, and because he or she or they realized that they had led some tr- some breadcrumbs back to a centralized exchange or they had led a, uh, done KYC, presumably, they were forced into having to give all of the assets back. Uh, and so the assets were exploited. Uh, the hacker had an oh crap moment and returned all of the money. And there's also a story in here about the nature of decentralized, uh, you know, permissionless assets versus more permissioned assets. Uh, USDT actually froze this these hackers funds and as we all know usdt is a centralized company they can freeze your money and so if you hack usdt you actually don't have the money in the bank uh and so there's a, a bunch of just funny little stories that happened with the with the biggest hack in DeFi history um anthony any thoughts on this yeah i mean it's funny because i had never heard of this either and a lot of people were getting this confused with polygon right <laughs> which is yeah. funny um but i think this shows like a deep divide between the east and the west i think this was a project in in china or somewhere in asia uh, and there's like a deep divide between the east and western communities both kind of language barrier wise and cultural wise and a lot of people weren't using this in that in that kind of community and no one i knew was kind of using this but yeah, I mean, 611 million stolen, like it's an absolutely massive amount of, of, of kind of like money, but them giving it back because they were sloppy is just, I mean, this just points to pure amateur hour where some script kitty probably got on a high and said, wow, if this actually works, I'm going to steal all this money. And then they were like, oh, wow, like I didn't think this through. I've, I've leaked, you know, personal um, information everywhere. Like, oh crap. And then USDT freezing the funds. I mean, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. USDT and USDC both have functions in their smart contract to freeze these funds. So you should never uh, be surprised by this when this happens but yeah just uh i mean good to see that money was returned and people are going to get their money back i assume but at the same time just speaks to the nature of this cross-chain stuff and how um i guess like immature it is right now it is very immature there's a lot of moving parts to it there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you know you need to be careful when using these tools Maybe we will borrow some time from the takes section, but one of the takes that I had this week was that the phrase cross-chain transfer is going to move away from a you know L1 to L1, a Bitcoin to Ethereum or or to Polygon or whatever, and it's instead going to be start to start to be used as an Ethereum L2 to L2 transfer. 
This is what we are seeing with things like Connext and Hot Protocol. When people start mm -hmm. to talk about cross-chain, they're going to increasingly talk about Ethereum L2 transfers to other layer twos. And when you go from EVM chain to EVM chain, things are easier, especially when they are actually true roll-ups on Ethereum. There's a lot less, less complexity. There's a lot less risk. We saw ThorChain, the other cro the, the L1 cross-chain transfer protocol that got exploited multiple times in the last month. It's just very, very complicated. And there's this growing ecosystem of Ethereum L2s. And I'm pretty sure, Anthony, you believe me or you're, you agree with me. And we kind of think that all this activity is kind of going to get sticky to these L2s and the, the world of cross-chain is just going to mean cross-L2. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. Um, you know, I mean, as I was saying before, like about the multi-chain kind of world and how I think that other things can can exist and find their niches and stuff, I still believe that to be a reality. But I do think that a lot of stuff is just going to accrue to L2 because it makes too much sense, right? You have the security and decentralization of L1, and then you have um, inherit that at L2. And then with the cross-chain stuff, I mean, I think inherently the cross-chain stuff is always going to be more risky than than anything because of the fact that it has to touch multiple points. There's always going to be like a point where there has to be a, maybe a, a trade-off between decentralization and centralization and some security trade-offs. But I'm excited to see like all of them play out and all of them to kind of like uh, innovate here. And, and maybe we can get to a fully trustless cross-chain system eventually. That would be like the holy grail. Absolutely. Something that came across my feed earlier this week is Aave is exploring building on other uh, other chains, including Solana and Avalanche and, and of course, other layer twos. Uh, this is a, a new uh, direction coming out of Aave. It's not something that's foreign to the world of DeFi and, and Ethereum. We've seen plenty of teams build on you know any, any chain that they can get their hands on, but it seems Aave is uh, moving out on to other L1s. Anthony, any, any thoughts here? Um, I'm not surprised. I think that it's more of a defensive measure than anything else where if they don't move Aave to there, someone will fork Aave and build it on these chains, right? And then they'll lose the market share. The way I view these kind of things is that Ethereum is the headquarters, right? It's HQ. It's where uh, everything you know major happens like governance and things like that. But then you want to have branches in other countries, right? So you basically have like an Aave branch on Solana maybe an Aave branch on, on Avalanche, an Aave branch on all the layer twos, but all that value accrues to the Aave token that sits on Ethereum and, and to the treasury that would sit on Ethereum because that's the most secure place to be. And that is the headquarters. So we're going to see this in pretty much like all apps eventually, but just because they're deployed to one of these chains doesn't mean they're going to see the usage, right? The, deploying is easy. Getting users is what's difficult. So it's going to be interesting to see what users prefer. I'm betting on users preferring layer two and devs preferring layer two as well, because they know that it's a, it's a more secure system to build upon, but we're going to have to see how this shakes out. Like it's, it's still very early, right? We don't know how this is going to shake out. I obviously, and I mean, you as well are betting on Ethereum being the the thing at the middle. Um, and I think Ethereum has already won that, but it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which other chains kind of like uh, get traction. Coming to a close on DeFi news stuff, Uniswap just became the first protocol to surpass a billion dollars in fees. Wow. A billion dollars mm -hmm. in not trading volume in fees, fees collected and paid out to liquidity providers. Uh, that is pretty cool. Uh, Lucas, who tweeted out this tweet, and of course, I agree with this as well. Congratulations to Hayden and the whole Uniswap team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just doing the head math here, if, if the 0.05% fee rake was turned on um, uh, for like uh, the, the treasury or that's for the token holders, uh, instead of it all going to LPs, this would have been like a, a lot of money, the hundreds of millions going to, to them. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's still cool to see like that's a, that's a crap ton of money going to liquidity providers.
And then last thing in the markets or the, the news section is Gemini makes an acquisition of Guesser, a new prediction market platform. Uh, and so we, we, we've seen the Gemini twins, the Winklevi, acquire other things before. They acquired a nifty gateway from, fun fact, mm -hmm. another set of identical twins. Uh, and then I, I asked <laughs> them if, they, uh, was, if Guesser was uh, you know, founded by another set of twins, but they didn't, they didn't like that joke or they didn't respond. One of the two. All right, guys, moving on into the world of NFT news. Penguins are on the front page of the New York Times, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, I guess, disclaimer, I have a penguin. Uh, I have a couple <laughs> penguins. Um, but the, the title of this uh, I thought was pretty interesting. And the title of this uh, piece was called, I joined a penguin NFT club because apparently that's what we do now with the subtitle. Is that what the metaverse is? Is this what the metaverse looks like? And bankless listeners, if you have listened to the uh, episode with Luke Burgess, the power of mimetic desire, the line that's what apparently that's what we do now stood out to me because it's, it's so clearly shows the power of just like, Oh, other people are doing this. I guess I'm doing this. Like, Oh, other people are putting penguins as their profile picture. I'm doing this as well. This apparently this is what we do now. And so, uh, this is kind of turned into what the story of Ethereum has been over the last two weeks or so is like this NFT profile picture avatar, like games, like, Started with CryptoPunks, then moved on to Bored Apes. These penguins have absolutely exploded on the scene. And now penguins are on the front page of the New York, or not the front page, but on the New York Times, which I think is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been funny to watch play out. I, I'm copying shit because I don't own a penguin. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and even though a lot of these penguins look like me because they have a, a hat that's similar to my <laughs> hat and some of them have like a beard and things like that. And uh, I guess like I'm just a no pengu uh, mm -hmm. right now. Uh, they're mm -hmm. calling like pengus or pengus or, or whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's it's been wild. And you know, I think this profile picture trend stems from the fact that a lot of people have been priced out of punks, right? Like punks, the floor is like $150,000 or whatever it is. And people want to be part of the community. So there's a lot of these projects spinning up, you know, a lot of them are opportunistic money grabs or some of them are scams, but there are certain ones that pop up and people just resonate with them. Like the penguins are cute, right? They're cute and wholesome. A lot of people kind of like resonated with it, changed their profile picture to it. And that's how these things kind of like come to life. And if you join their discord channel, you see like the absolute madness that goes on in there. It's just meme heaven. Like there's so much like stuff going on in there. It's hilarious. But Essentially, uh, and then, you know, the price of admission right now, I think the floor for the penguins is like 1.8 ETH. So it's not cheap anymore. Um, so as the price of admission goes up, I think people that get priced out just go down that kind of like, I guess, um, that pyramid. And eventually you get to the base where like, you know, there's a project where everyone can enjoy, but then, you know, eventually it keeps going up. Like at the top of the pyramid, you have punks and then you have like board eight yop club, and then you have maybe like penguins. And then as you go down, you, you kind of like have, it's like a status thing as right. well, where it's like, you know, you, you own a certain thing, you're part of a certain group, but uh, this is, this is fun to see play out. Like I really like how much energy there is in the NFT spaces, even though a lot of people are speculating on these things. I think a lot of people just feel like a, a very deep sense of community whenever they buy something like yes you can right click save it but like you're not part of the group right you're not part of the cool kids if you do that you're only part of the group if you actually buy right. a pengu and there's only eight 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 penguins so you know <laughs> you could be a part of an exclusive club but only eight thousand eight hundred eighty eight people can never be a part of um and even though the price of admission is, is is quite high right now it's probably worth it for a lot of people because they're like well i can be part of the cool penguin club <laughs> no that's exactly right uh i'm part of the cool penguin club club and i feel very very cool the other two things two fascinating things i think uh, that are about this is like this these whole nft avatar games they are literally games of just like 
do we like the way these things look? And like, so like the <laughs> fundamentals on these penguins are like, they're really cute. They're really cute little drawings. That's like the fundamentals behind this project. Uh, and then of course we also have the subtitle. Is this what the metaverse looks like? Uh, metaverse becoming a household name. Uh, we, we see the Facebook pushing the, the phrase, the metaverse. Uh, the metaverse is a very frequent topic in the world of crypto. We have the bankless uh, sub newsletter coming out as the metaverse uh, ran by the fabulous William Peaster. Uh, metaverse, common household name, more and more and more these days. Uh, mm -hmm. Moving on real mm -hmm. quick here, uh, something interesting in the world of crypto is going on that FTX, the, the big exchange out of Sam Bankman-Fried that likes to slap its name across everything, is sponsoring 137 Axie Infinity players from developing countries, which means that they are giving them the Axies to go play the Axie game, which is where they get the revenue from. And FTX is sponsoring 137 of them. So that is pretty cool. Also in the world of NFTs, DraftKings launches an NFT marketplace which with uh, Tom, uh, excuse me, Tom Brady, as the first drop, I tried to do a little bit of snooping and figure out what uh, blockchain that they had been deployed on. Uh, they have kept it a secret. There's murmurings of it being on Polygon, but that could it is be... It is Polygon. It is Polygon. I, I is snooped that around, is? yeah. Yeah, uh, it is Polygon. You snooped yeah. around better than I did. All right, well, wow, that's actually that's fantastic for Polygon. Congratulations to Polygon, and also congratulations for drafting to getting into the world of NFTs, although not all NFTs are created equal, so we'll see how the more and more details behind this. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on this and I mean, I think it's pretty cool. And I think Polygon itself is definitely positioning, positioning themselves as a really nice uh, NFT platform that obviously the POS chain is in a true layer too, but like, uh, you know, uh, Ethereum friendly and things like that. Uh, so it's just great to keep this kind of like in the Ethereum ecosystem and great to see, I guess, like I didn't know what DraftKings was because I think it's very big in the US. It's not big here in Australia and I'm not into sports. So I actually had to Google who Tom Brady was the other day. <laughs> That's how not into sports I am. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I mean, it's good to see that like the thesis playing out for NFTs where basically the thesis is that NFT has like a total addressable market of like the entire world and all these different industries and they're coming, they're coming in waves. And as I was saying before, there's going to be a lot more over the next six to 12 months. Coming in at Bitcoin news, five North American mining firms reported that they earned 58% more Bitcoin in July Thanks to China, thanks to the big hash, uh, hashing migration out of China, the drop in hash rate, which makes uh, bit, you know Bitcoin miners everywhere across the world more profitable. So a little bit of uh, positive news if you're into the belief that this is good for American regulation of Bitcoin and American Bitcoin infrastructure at large. Bitcoin miners making a little bit more money, bringing some more Bitcoins on to onto American soil and away from China soil, which again, I always think is, is bullish, at least from a regulatory standpoint, it makes people more friendly with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, obvious to see, like, obviously, as China shut down, they're, they're kind of like miners and hash rate, the ones located in other kind of like uh, jurisdictions are going to get more uh, more profit from from mining Bitcoin. So yeah, makes sense to me. Moving into regulation, which was a massive topic this week. This uh, this subject matter really kind of finished out on Monday and Tuesday of this week. We kind of had it. We were watching it live as I was uh, writing up the Market Monday post on Bankless. If you also want to uh, keep, get yourself updated with what's going on in the world of regulation. But as we all know, we have this massive tax bill in America that was getting held up by the crypto industry, by cryptocurrency. Uh, it, crypto, the crypto industry was one of the, the, the reason as to why this massive, massive infrastructure bill got held up in Congress, in the Senate. Uh, the title on the CNBC article says, Lawmakers fought over crypto's place in the infrastructure bill. Here's what's next 
for the in, uh, industry. And then if you were paying attention, we watched this uh, Republican senator from Alabama block the amendment because he didn't get the money that he wanted for defense spending. He wanted something like $50 billion for defense spending. So he blocked the crypto amendment because he didn't get his amendment in, uh, which frustrated basically everyone in the industry. And so where we stand now is that the Senate has voted 69 to 30 to pass the infrastructure bill uh, with the original crypto provisions, right? So this is where everyone becomes a broker. This was more or less actually the worst case scenario. This is what no one wanted. But like the thing is, it's such a bad scenario that no one is taking it seriously. It's, it's, like, it, it's like it went all the way around the world, right? Like it is so bad that it's so backwards that it's actually like good for some reason. Uh, and, and that's kind of my, my take on that. Uh, and and uh, the finishing up the conversation, we were, as an industry, trying to figure out who is going after crypto, who is really trying to uh, come after crypto and impose all these burdensome regulations on it. Turns out it's the White House and Janet Yellen, who was a previous Fed chair. And I think that is particularly interesting. Janet Yellen, the, the Treasury chair secretary to uh, the Biden administration, is apparently the one that has been lobbying the Senate and lobbying Congress to get this really, really burdensome regulation on our industry, especially DeFi. And, and then Anthony, I'm going to give you the floor. The thing that I thought was particularly interesting is during this whole like week of drama and so many different amendments getting proposed, we had this amendment get proposed that specifically protected the proof of work industry and the mining industry. Uh, and they, and, and so the, the Bitcoin community was overjoyed because not only were they protected, but everyone else was not protected. Uh, and my take on this, and I want to get your take on it on, on my take, Anthony, is that the fact that the, the regulators were okay with Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin getting carved out, but not DeFi and not Ethereum tells you exactly where their priorities are and tells you exactly where they think the threat is. Bitcoin getting carved out was not bullish for Bitcoin. It's because they don't feel like it, it was a threat. So mm -hmm. that is that is what happened in the in the last week of regulation, and also my take on it. Anthony, any thoughts or anything I missed? No, no, you summarized it really well. I think uh, if we're just like cutting out all the bullshit, this is an attack on DeFi uh, straight up. Like the treasury being involved tells me that as as you know more than anything. Uh, it's unfortunate to see what happened here, but I agree with you that this um, uh, kind of like legislation was so bad and and so shitty and so unenforceable that the market was just like, we don't give a shit about this. This yeah. is a joke. Like this is not going to lead to anything. And we can still, you know, the, the, we can still fight this in the house, in the US, and then in the courts if it gets to that, because this doesn't go into law until 2023. So I think just generally people are like both optimistic that we're going to be able to, to get this crap out of there, but also at the same time being like, well, you know, this is what we're fighting up against. This is the war that we have to have. We shot first at the end of the day. Like we, we definitely, um, you know, kicked the hornet's nest, but now crypto is, you know, crypto was the, the sole thing holding up this massive infrastructure bill for the US. Like crypto is, is kind of like in the big leagues. Now we have, we have made ourselves known. We have said very, very loudly, we are here and we are not to be not to be screwed with because um, a lot of these senators would have learned about crypto this week. A lot of them would have learned how many of their constituents, um, how many people uh, as part of like their, their jurisdictions actually care about this. And this could be like a single issue uh, voter type thing for a lot of them. So they're going to start, I think, um, you know, learning more about it, seeing who cares about it, seeing what they can do to help it. And, you know, we, we do have some people in, in the Senate that actually are on our side. Um, you know, people will be cynical and say, well, they're not on our side, they're on their side. And it's like, it doesn't matter. If they're on their side and aligns with our side, then they're on our 
side. That's how I view it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think that really this was a, a nothing burger uh, for now, but I do think if this does go into law, it's going to be very uh, bad for the US long-term because a lot of companies will leave the US because they'll be like, well, I can't operate here anymore, but crypto is going to change the world. So I'm moving to this other country. Goodbye, all the economic benefit. Goodbye, all the taxes that you get from these companies in the US. And, and you basically just push away a massive, massive industry. Yeah, that is the takeaway that I've heard so many people give is it was a massive surprise as how energetic crypto came to defend itself. And it showed up in force. It showed up with phone calls, emails, and tweets. Apparently, tweeting at your senator is a really powerful thing to do because when you call your senator's office, you're not getting to the senator. But when you at your senator, that's they're going to their phone. That's going to their Twitter messages. And so they know what's up with that. One last take on this came um, from Jake Stravinsky, who we are actually having on the Bankless State of the Nation next Tuesday. Uh, and so we are going to ask him all of these questions and more. Uh, but DC Investor, of course, friend of the pod, uh, says, fun fact, I have a master's in public policy and spent years working around the government. I know how the sausage is made. All of this probably jammed in by random staffers who were probably heavily lobbied by various industries. It is what it is. All we can do is express our opinions with money and words. But then Jake Stravinsky, who's very, very close to, to this whole thing, says, this isn't what I hear. Word is, is that it came from Treasury. They don't like what we're building and they're using the infrastructure bill as a strategic cover to get a jurisdiction over non-custodial market actors, which they wanted to, but failed to get with a previous FinCEN proposal, uh, the whole Mnuchin regulatory FUD during the transition. So it's interesting to see this like surgical targeted uh, attack on DeFi, just like what you said. And it's also interesting to see the absolute strength of the crypto community come and put their foot down and say, uh, no. Um, but mm -hmm, the story mm -hmm. is going to continue to be unfold. Uh, to, uh, it's going to continue to unfold. All right. Also in the world of regulation, Brian Brooks steps down from Binance US as the role of CEO. Brian Brooks, also a former, former regulator uh, from the CFTC, steps down as CEO from Binance US, which raised a lot of eyebrows because he had only been there for a few months. And as we all know, on the Bankless program, we've been calling it the Bankless, or excuse me, the Binance squeeze. Binance is getting squeezed more and more and more by regulators. And now a their CEO has stepped down after just a few months. And so the Binance squeeze tightens. Anthony, any thoughts here? I think Brian sees the writing on the wall that uh, Binance is going to continue to suffer this squeeze, as you call it. They, I mean, they have been suffering from it. Uh, I think centralized exchanges in general are going to keep getting squeezed, especially those that don't follow the regulations that are in place. And I mean, you've already seen this play out, like with Binance lowering leverage requirement, uh, leverage, max leverage to 20x, banning leverage in certain countries, pulling out of other countries. And yeah, this is just going to continue. And I think Brian really did see the writing on the wall. And you can see he's had a colored history within crypto, you know, former CEO of Binance US, uh, former chief legal officer at Coinbase as well. But he, he was also working in government as the as the acting controller of the currency, uh, as which is, a, which is a pretty pretty big position too. So yeah, I think he's just getting out while he can. <laughs> he doesn't probably, probably doesn't want to be involved in the regulatory kind of like mess that's coming towards, uh, towards, towards Binance and, and continuing to come towards it. 
Last thing in the regulatory section, Circle becomes uh, intends to become a full reserve national commercial bank. So a big upgrade from uh, Circle to become a, a national bank. Interestingly, as we all know, the banks in the U.S. operate on a fractional reserve basis, a 10 to 1 basis. Uh, but that is not Circle's product. So Circle wants to become a fully collateralized one to one bank. Uh, and and uh, there are probably some more details need to come out there as to what this really means. Can I just make an account with Circle? Can I finally break up with Wells Fargo and just join Circle? <laughs> I mean, I'll trade bank to bank, but I think I like that one a little bit more. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, if I have to use a bank, I would rather use one that like, at least had crypto features uh, embedded into it and was like crypto native and friendly. So, I mean, obviously Circle is not going to be coming to Australia anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that if you have to use a bank, I would go with this. But obviously, like we all want to be as bankless <laughs> as possible, but we, we can't be for certain activities. Like, I, I unfortunately, I have right. to use a bank account for certain things. Uh, we all like do. Like buying figurines, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like buying figurines. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think this is this is quite positive uh, to see. I think this is going to bring in a lot more people into crypto as well, uh, because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't want to manage their own funds, and that's fine. They can you know use a third party, but this third party is still going to be using our beautiful DeFi rails, which I think is 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 great. And then, of course, last thing in news, just I feel like it's worth a mention, but it is the one year anniversary week of yams. I think we all remember where we were when yams happened. Uh, as we all know, comp uh, kicked off liquidity mining and yield farming, but it was yams that kicked off the whole food coin mania and to really uh, uh, tell people that you could actually compose some brand new community using other communities and a bunch of yield farming uh, and really just left a very significant mark on DeFi to this day. Anthony, any thoughts on the one year anniversary of Yams? Yeah, I mean, I remember the day Yam went live. Uh, I woke up uh, after it had gone live. I came to my computer. I was like, what the hell is happening? Like, I went on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God. The next 16 hours of that day felt like less than 10 minutes. I didn't really do anything. It was absolute. No, dude, it was absolute insanity. It felt like I was playing World of Warcraft again back in like my teenage years where <laughs> I just didn't move the whole day, did nothing else except sit, sit in front of my computer. Um, but yeah, like it was crazy. And as you say, that kicked off the Food Fork Mania, kicked off everything and just absolute um, mayhem. And uh, I think it's a special uh, kind of like a moment that a lot of us will hold in our hearts. <laughs> and the little bridge of revolution there with the... <laughs> With the yam. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. I did not see this earlier. But yeah, like just like you said, here's Robert Leshner apparently farming some yams. Mm. All right, guys, make sure you don't go anywhere because we are going into the ecosystem takes afterwards and, of course, finishing off with the meme of the week. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. 
when I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash gobankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash gobankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version two has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield. And all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, Anthony, I got some takes for us to talk about. And of course, the first one starts off with your good friend, Eric Connor, who says, we all need to realize that this is going to be commonplace for crypto and DeFi over the next 20 years when it comes to regulation. It's the hot new thing to be regulated like banks in 2009. We need to coordinate properly, but all, not overreact every single time. It's not the end of crypto. And I think Eric is really just saying, hey, like, we're here, we've arrived. We've arrived into the era of crypto regulation. This first bill is an absolute mess, but it's the first one. So that makes sense that it's kind of a mess and get used to it because we're gonna see more crypto regulation moving forward into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Eric. This is literally just the first thing we're seeing of this. And we, we definitely should all be prepared and expect this because as I said, we shop first, we are poised. This whole industry is poised to interrupt very, very deeply embedded institutions in the world. And they're not just going to sit by and take it. They're going to fight back. Some of them will join us. Some of them will be our enemy and we'll just have to fight. Absolutely. A take from Suzu who writes a tweet as to why he bought punks and other NFTs. He says... We bought punks and NFTs because they are undeniably a part of the broader story of digital scarcity, meme economy, collective capitalism, metaverse, and mind-body dissociation. Anthony, I'm going to let you uh, give your take on this take first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree with him here. If you really think about it, like how... Uh, how much time do we all spend in front of our screens as part of like this metaverse digital kind of like uh, world? Uh, we spend most of our days in in that. So, you know, why not uh, kind of, I guess, like uh, embrace that? And then by, and the way you embrace that is by, by being part of like the NFT ecosystem, being part of the metaverse, um, you know, instead of buying physical kind of like products, you buy digital ones. Or if you're like me, you do both, you know, buy figurines and buy, you know, digital NFTs and stuff like that. Um, but he's right. I mean, yeah, Sue's definitely on the money here with what he's saying about digital scarcity and the meme economy. Like if you just see what's been happening over the last kind of like, you know, decade or so with the rise of social media on the internet, it really is all about memes and, and, and kind of like uh, uh, the metaverse and mind body, body disassociation. But what crypto brings to it is that digital scarcity, that collective capitalism and, and things like the metaverse, which supercharges everything that we've been building up to, uh, you know, over the last decade or so. 
The only thing I have to add is it's totally on brand for Suzu to finish up this whole justification of to why he bought NFTs with mind body dissociation, which is like very on brand for it's like a little bit Chad, a little bit crazy and definitely mm -hmm. going to like trigger people's FOMO and imaginations, but also it's mm -hmm. mainly just crazy. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, this one, this next one comes from me and I think it's pretty simple. And I just go ahead and say that imagine thinking that trading JPEGs isn't product market fit. Like it's such a simple activity. I have this picture, you have that picture. Hey, do you want to trade them? Like you don't have to think about it much more than that. We all traded Pokemon cards when we were young. Like we did it, we didn't question it then. Somebody could print off and, and print, you know, make their own picture, make their own Pokemon card, but it wasn't the same. Uh, and so I think trading pictures is going to be just a thing that society does now. I mean, we've been trading pictures for hundreds of years, right? Like whenever you show a picture to someone or give a picture to someone like, I mean, technically, you know, you're not really trading it, but you're like trading the idea behind it. You're showing off like kind of, um, you know, your picture to people. And we do this online all the time. Everyone shares memes with each other. It's like, hey, look at this meme. Hey, look at my meme. Mm -hmm. Now we're just kind of like stepping it up and, and, and kind of like uh, bringing, uh, bringing money into the mix where we're like, hey, I own this meme. Hey, I own this collectible and I can prove it to you that I own it. Um, and, you know, digital kind of like collectibles isn't something new. It's been part of, I guess, like video games for a long time. But what's new is the openness, the metaverse nature of it, the kind of like collective capitalism, as Sue calls it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there is so much product market fit there. It isn't even funny. <laughs> Another one from Eric Connor, which I think puts things very, very well into perspective. Fun fact, we didn't cover in markets this week, but gold took a 10% dip this week, which is a very large dip for gold. Uh, no one really expects that level of volatility to come out of gold. And so Eric Connor retweets this news and says, no, you can't buy JPEGs. And then, you know, in quotes, proceeds to trade rocks. It's a very sobering reminder that gold is just a goddamn rock. It's just mm -hmm. a rock. And so, mm -hmm. like, people thinking that it's weird to trade JPEGs on the internet, like, we still have people trading rocks, and it's one of the most financialized instruments in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. And I think, I don't know, I, like, I'm super bearish on gold. I think over time, we're just going to see more and more gold of gold's value transfer into digital assets. And I think that, yeah, people complaining that you can't trade, uh, you know, JPEGs, but are trading rocks. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just like the irony there is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last take that we have comes from Andrew Yang, who says cryptocurrency is one path to universal basic income. As Bankless listeners will know, I'm a big fan of Andrew Yang. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. Um, and he, he thinks that there is an alignment between cryptocurrency and UBI. Fun fact, he actually uh, tweeted this out uh, after a, a couple days after I had a listener of the show send him a little note to Andrew Yang saying, hey, Andrew Yang, please come on the podcast. I believe that your movement that you're trying to inspire is actually done better on crypto rails. Maybe that was a coincidence or maybe he read that letter. I don't know. But Andrew Yang, come on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, UBI has been something that's been talked about within crypto for a long time now. There are a few projects out there trying to trying to do this. And I mean, I think he's right that it's it's one path to universal basic income. But if we build it on crypto rails, we can get it into the hands of, of people like much faster than anything else. So, I mean, I hope that he comes on Bankless. I'd love to listen to him on, on Bankless. Like, yes, you know, not everyone would agree with a lot of his policies or stuff like that. But I think just listening to what he has to say, he's a very smart guy, um, you know, it would be worth a while. So yeah, Andrew, if, I mean, I don't know if you're watching the roll up, but if you are, go on the Bankless podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Andrew's brand is not left, not right, but forward, and that is the brand that I can get behind, and he can talk plenty about non-political things, which means the content can be non-political. All right, Anthony, before we get to the meme of the week, which there are actually two of, so stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, usually, this is where I ask Ryan where, what he's excited about, but you're here instead. So, Anthony, what are you excited about? So I might give like a bit of a boring answer, but I am like very, very excited about what's happening in the NFT space outside of the profile picture mania. There is a lot of innovation going on. There are a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things. Something that I saw come out the other day was Paperclip DAO, where it's this kind of like DAO with the, uh, with the initiative to essentially trade their way up from like a very, you know, kind of like valueless kind of NFT to something worth like a lot, maybe a CryptoPunk or something like that. And this is basically based on the story. And I don't know if this story is true, but it's a story that a guy was able to trade a paperclip um, you know, for various items all the way up to a house. So he started with a paperclip, traded his way up to a house, and that's what Paperclip DAO is trying to do. So there's uh, with, with kind of like NFT. So there's a lot of innovation happening in this space outside of the profile picture mania. And that's what I'm most excited about seeing is like people using NFTs for more than just like trading. Like, you know, I, I think trading JPEGs is a big use case, but if you're just doing that and that's all, I think you're limiting the potential of, of that technology. Absolutely. Um, this is where you ask me what I'm excited about. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are you excited about, David? <laughs> well, I'm excited about specifically the NFT avatar movement. <laughs> the thing that oh, you were God. talking about, you weren't excited we're like, about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, may, maybe I'm putting on the bull market goggles, but like the NFT avatar movement is such a simple thing to understand. And like, mm-hmm. also to some degree, people are going to, to like, oh, cool, cute penguins. I'll put that as an, as my avatar too. Oh wait, like it costs $6,000. They're going to, they're <laughs> going to run into that, that whole like, but I can still put it as my profile. But, but at some point in time, some NFT avatar thing is coming for you in the sense that mm-hmm. like, maybe CryptoPunks weren't your thing. Maybe penguins weren't your thing. Maybe board apes weren't your thing, but there's going to be something. There's going to be mm-hmm. something that is relevant to you. And uh, when I the when I FOMO'd into my CryptoPunk, uh, it, it happened right after People Pleaser had her um, digital artwork featured in Fortune. And she had all these cameos, all these like Easter eggs to all these like crypto native people. Like, and it was, you know, Santiago Santos, but it wasn't his picture. It was his crypto punk, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, Tetranode. It wasn't his picture because we don't know what Tetranode looks like. It was his like digital representation. And so if mm-hmm. you want a place in the metaverse, if you want a digital representation, you need a picture that is you that isn't you. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that as the metaverse grows, this whole NFT avatar movement is also going to grow and grow and grow. And that is what gets me really, really excited. Also, penguins are cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Even though I said that I'd like seeing more innovation, I'm not to, not not to say that I'm not excited about this kind of like avatar or profile picture movement. I think that it's definitely there's definitely a lot of value there, and it gives people a sense of community as well. All right, Anthony, are you ready to get into the meme of the week? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think I know which one it is. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I actually have two of them, and I'm not sure you know which one I'm about to show up first. All right, here comes the okay, first one. Okay, I don't know the first one. <laughs> this, one this one's made by, I'm pretty sure, Michael Wong, but I could be wrong. It's, it's the, uh, is this a blank meme? Uh, for those that are on the podcast, it's the guy looking at the, uh, looking at the butterfly, and uh, always there's this caption, is this something that is completely not? And that they quote this uh, for this particular meme is, is this a broker? Is this a broker? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, under the new that, that that new law, like pretty much everyone's a broker. Right? So, like, my dog's a broker. <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry, mate, you, you're you're heavily regulated now. You're gonna have to go to jail for for, for brokerage services. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's yeah. I mean, this meme is, is pretty funny and encapsulates that well. 
All right, and here is, of course, the meme that I think that you thought was coming, and it totally is. Here it is. Anthony, you want to you wanna talk about this meme? This is a very, very good meme, David. Like, I have to applaud you on this one, my friend. Uh, <laughs> this meme, like, for those just listening in, is basically the Grim Reaper going door to door and, like, killing who's, who's in the room. You know, first we start off with the, the narrative that Ethereum will never work. Well, that's dead now. Obviously, Ethereum works. The beacon chain will never launch. Well, dead again. 1559 will never ship dead and there you have two doors that are still uh remain to be opened the merge will never happen and eth will never flip btc now you have um these in the wrong order i think <laughs> oh spicy wow I, I actually wow i actually think that the hype from the merge like when we actually get a date will be so grand that we might actually see eth flip btc before the merge happens wow. so it's going to be interesting to see if you have these doors around the wrong way which i think you may you might just wow. <laughs> the, the thing about that claim anthony is that's a very precise claim that is going to like we're going to figure that out in like the next like three months or so you think the ether will flip in bitcoin in like three months give not, or take not in three maybe not in three months because i or still think the have, merge. well we'll have to start it started the process by then i think i think the process started a year ago um but i i think that the merge i mean <sighs> The, the the soft the soft range is Q1 2022. Mm-hmm. It could go to Q2. I don't know, but I think within at least within the next twelve months, like at most, there will be the the merge happening. Um, but the thing is, is that that's a lot long time like eth is only i mean it's 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 a bit more than 2x away i think like 2.3x away from flipping uh bitcoin um and like the momentum is there like it's really really there if we break that seasonality in q3 q4 i mean i i i i'm pretty pretty much like very confident like 99% confident that we will see eth flip btc before the merge happens if you know a few different things go right but the momentum is there i i just it's undeniable. And I think that the narrative is there. The merge, uh, you know, as we get closer to it, more, more and more people will learn about the fact that we're about to cut issuance by 90%, do three Bitcoin halvenings, 12 years worth of Bitcoin halvenings in one foul swoop, like literally block to block. One block, we have proof of work. The next block, we have proof of stake. And then 90% issuance reduction. Bye-bye, uh, you know, all, all the kind of like um, issuance and hello deflationary Ethereum. It's just too much. I mean, maybe I'm I'm too in the weeds here, but like I'm going to keep talking about this for a long time, and I hope a lot of people, re- uh, you know, read my tweets and 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 see just what's coming. Because I mean, a lot of people. This is maybe a bankless exclusive. I've never said this before, but one of my top missions of being involved with Ethereum is to help it flip <laughs> Bitcoin. Because I don't think Bitcoin deserves to be number one. I believe Ethereum deserves to be number one. So that has been my mission for a very long time. So. I'm obviously very bullish on the flipping. Well, bankless listeners will probably tune into the fact that Ryan and I definitely lean to the Ethereum side of things, but we do try and keep some sort of, of balance on the bankless show, but not today. Not today at all. <laughs> well, I mean, in me saying <laughs> that like Bitcoin doesn't deserve to be number one doesn't mean uh, that I don't, you know, get the value of Bitcoin. Right. I just think that Ethereum offers much more value than, than Bitcoin does. Yeah. So that's kind of like my view on it. <laughs> no, and and I've been saying on the on the on the roll-ups that uh, you know, that whenever we talk about the ETH BTC ratio, I say like, oh, the we are at historically high levels and we have been sustaining these high levels. And if we're not gonna dump on the ETH BTC ratio, then maybe we're just gonna like hang out here and then go up even more. I don't even know. We'll we'll, we'll see. Like I, I'm I'm actually very very cautious about that because the seasonality is very strong. So I don't want to be quoted in six months time when the ETH Bitcoin ratio has gone down, <laughs> saying that I don't think it's gonna go down. But uh, definitely, you can quote me on the flippening like any day. I don't care. Like oh. I I've been saying that for ages. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm I am on the flippening boat one hundred percent. 
Anthony, thank you so much for helping me go through the news of the week. And Anthony, you do this every single day, every single weekday, at least on your YouTube channel, The Daily Gway. You want to give that a quick plug and tell you tell people what people talk about or what you talk about on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as you said, I do the, the, the same thing we've done, I guess, like every weekday, just covering the last 24 hours worth of Ethereum and crypto news. So, yeah, people can go check that out at the Daily Gway YouTube channel. And I also put out a daily newsletter covering the biggest thing, one one of the biggest things happening in the Ethereum ecosystem as well. Uh, you can find them both. If you just Google the Daily Gway, uh, you'll be able to find them. And we will have those in the show notes as well. That is where I get a lot of my information every single day as a trusted source for all of Ethereum, DeFi, all this good stuff, and really good analysis from someone who has been in the community for longer than I have. So Anthony, thank you for all the all, all you do at The Daily Way. Yeah, thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me on the roll up again. Hopefully Ryan will stop slacking so I won't have to fill in for him anymore. But no, 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 I, I enjoy this. And Ryan deserves a break. I mean, I, I you know, I saw on the Twitter the other day, he actually has a lower body, which surprised me a little bit, but um, you know. I was so surprised. I, had, I didn't know who let, who let him out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to add that link to the show notes as well so listeners can know what we are talking about. All right, everyone, thank you for tuning in to this Friday edition of the Bankless Weekly Rollup. As we all know, ETH is risky, crypto is risky, DeFi is risky. You can lose what you put in. We are headed west. We're on the frontier. We are. It's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.